cool. I mean, y'all, I don't control the weather. Jeez. It's good to be together. Uh, kids, you're dismissed to class if you want to go. Um, that is for, I think all of our babies go into class at the beginning, but if you're an elementary school age kid, you can head to your classroom now. If not, we're talking about the law. So um, I'm going to bring a couple things to your attention before we jump in. The first is immediately after the gathering is our next steps class. We do this about once a quarter. And it's a way, if you've been around for a while, but kind of curious about what membership looks like, uh, we did have a sign-up lunches provided. So if you didn't sign up, you can still come just as soon as we're done with the gathering. Go grab a bite to eat, come back, you can eat with us, uh, and we'll do that while we uh, load the trailer and all that. If you did sign up, we got food for you. So uh, immediately after the gathering, I think there's be in one of those back rooms. So uh, when you come back, look for us in there. And then lastly is uh, on February the 26th, we're having our night of worship, which I'm very excited about. Um, we have not that I'm aware of, have done this, at least as long as I've been here at the branch, we haven't done this. And so we're going to meet at the BCM house at 530 on the night of the 26th, and it'll be a great time of just being encouraged and uh, time to, to pray and, and to worship well. So I hope you'll join us for that. Uh, no food. Sorry. <laughs> Budget cuts. We're in a gym after all. <laughs> okay, sorry, that's not in my notes. Let's, let's jump in. Okay, we're in a, uh, what I would consider to be a pretty difficult part of Scripture, okay? We come, uh, if, you're, if you're new to the branch, we're going verse by verse to the book of Exodus, okay? And uh, we're in chapter 22, so if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and start flipping there. We're chapter 22, verse 16, so we're picking up where we left off last week. I was super impressed with Andrew. Uh, he had a really difficult text, a long text. He also preached it in short sleeves, which is the most impressive part, so... Um, Anyways, I think a lot of us would come to this particular point, if you've read the Bible chronologically, or if you're in some sort of Bible reading plan, this is where you begin to get bogged down, if I were to be honest. Uh, there's a lot of times in my life, even sometimes still, where you'll come to uh, where God is issuing the law, or giving the law, or in this case, expanding on the law, and you just kind of figure, like, I don't have ox. I've never owned a donkey. Uh, and you start to like, God, what do you have for me, right? And so there are principles, but I think beyond the principles, what we need to look at is the nature and character of God. That's why he's given us. So I want to do this as a quick reminder from first Tim, or Second Timothy chapter 3, that all Scripture, okay, so what does that mean? It's all of it, okay? So, so everything that we have in the Holy Bible is God breathed, okay? So Second Timothy says that all Scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable, Okay? which means that it's good. It's good for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And then it says that the man of God may be complete, okay? which is wholeness. right? That's, after all, that's what God's people are after, holiness, wholeness, to be brought and made whole again, and we're being equipped for every good work. So a lot of the law, a lot of what we get in the law is this idea of how do we treat God, and then how do we treat our neighbor? And we'll see a lot of that in this text today. Before I do that, I just want to give us a quick recap from last week. So last week we had a lot of talk about slaves, um, which again, Andrew did a fantastic job. But the major idea last week is this idea of restitution, okay, if you, if you remember that from last week. So the idea is that we're all called as God's people to participate in God's peace in the world, Okay? We're called to, make, to participate in the making new of all things. All right? Ultimately, that's what Christ does in his coming back, in his second coming, as he makes all things new. So we're, we're called to participate in the restoration of the broken. We're also called to care about our neighbor's welfare. Okay? 
So when we, when we think about donkeys in ox, while none of us have ever had an ox gore another man's ox, more than likely, I mean, if you have, then maybe we could talk later because I'd love to get that illustration sometime. Uh, the, the idea is that we're to care for our neighbor. That's what we've been called to do. I got a phone call a few weeks ago, actually. Uh, Megan and I were at Top Golf. Ever heard of it? It's great. Uh, for one of my friends turning 40th birthday. And I get a phone call from a neighbor who's like, hey, did y'all get goats? I'm like, uh, no, nah, we ain't got no goats, man. And evidently, our neighbor has goats, and her goats were now on our property. So we had goats temporarily. But how we handle that kind of stuff is what God's after. How do you treat your neighbor? Okay? So what I want to do before we dive into this text is I, want to, I really want to press into this idea of why do we have laws? Okay? Why do we have the law given to us by God? But why do we have laws? And the primary idea is we have laws to protect us. Okay? When we tell our kids not to run in a parking lot, it's not because we're being mean. It's not even because we're trying to be authoritarian or to have some sort of power over them. We just don't want them to die, right? When you, uh, like, when you cross a railroad track, if you remember this as a kid, like, you know, don't step down in the thing because you'll get stuck. I mean, it's not because your parents hated you. It's the opposite. It's because they love you, and God loves us, and he gives us his law in order to protect us. So the intensity in which we set laws is usually directly tied to the intensity in which we could be harmed, okay? So let's keep that in mind, but the most important thing for us to remember is that God's law reveals his character, okay? God's law reveals his character, and it also exposes our brokenness, all right? It exposes our brokenness. This is what we see throughout the Ten Commandments, and now as we get this exegesis on the Ten Commandments through uh, these next few chapters, next few weeks in Exodus. But what I want to do here is I want to lay out a theological principle real quick, uh, the doctrine of original sin, okay? Which might seem like an odd place to do that here, um, but if you'll bear with me, I hope by the end of this it will make perfect sense. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and flip over to, keep your finger in Exodus, but go ahead and flip over to Romans chapter 5. The idea of original sin is that all mankind, uh, in our nature, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is what Romans is saying, okay? That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So the doctrine of original sin is that Adam's sin has been imputed to us, and now our nature, apart from any bad works, the core of who we are is sinful, okay? So when you're born into the world, you don't, we don't teach our kids to to be selfish. We don't teach our kids to be racist. We don't teach our kids to be greedy or gluttonous. Well, it's just in our nature, right? That's my block, and I'll hit you on the head with it, right? We don't have to teach them that. If you're teaching your kids that, you're a bad parent, okay? But we don't teach them that. It's, it's ingrained in the nature of who they are. So God, in his kindness, though, made a way for us, right? Because of original sin, now we're distanced from God. This is, this is the consequence of the garden, of, the, of Adam and Eve's sin in the garden. It wasn't the fact that they ate the apple. It's the fact that they ate the apple thinking they could become God, okay? That's the sin, all right? It's pride. It's idolatry. It's all the things that we just covered while Moses was on Mount Sinai getting the Ten Commandments, Okay, so this idea of original sin, I'm going to read from Romans chapter 5. This is verses 12 through 14. If, you're, uh, if you want to play the long game, go ahead and put your ribbon in Romans 5. I'm going to close here as well, okay? So we'll come back, different verses, but I want you to see this. So this is Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, this is Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Okay? So this is the idea that in our very nature, all of us 
what we bring to the table is our own death and depravity. Okay, that's all we bring to the table of salvation. All right? Verse 13, for sin indeed was in the world before what? The law was given. Okay? So sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Okay? So how do we know it's sin? Because there's a law around it. Okay? So that's what we have to keep in mind. Verse 14 says, Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. Okay? Who was a type of the one who was to come. So original sin shows us that we sin because we are sinners. Okay? We don't do sin. We are sin. Does that make sense? Okay? So entering this world with a corrupt nature and without hope, apart from the saving grace of God and the gospel. That's why we gather together as the church. One, to be reminded of our brokenness. And two, be reminded of the ultimate restitution that Christ gives to us, that he imputes to us in the gospel through his perfect life, his brutal death, his miraculous resurrection, and his hopeful return. That is the gospel, by the way, and all God's people said, amen. There we are. Okay, so the, the main thing we have to keep in mind when we talk through original sin, now, uh, side note, okay, I could talk about this forever, and we're not going to. It's not the primary point of the text today, okay? We are doing a branch school of theology at some point in March where we're going to talk about the doctrine of salvation. We can't do the doctrine of salvation without really doing rigorous work in the doctrine of original sin. So if you're like, I don't understand, we'll, we'll release dates and all that, and you can come, and, and we'll spend two hours talking about it, okay? Now, that's not our point. Our point is that God's ways are better than our ways. Can we agree there? Yes, we can. Amen to that too. His ways are good for us, but they're not only good for us, they're best for us, okay? So wherever you are in your life, God's ways, God's not um, sitting in heaven making a list and checking it twice. That's not who he is. He cares deeply for his glory, and as an image bearer of him, Father, Son, and Spirit, we are to reflect that glory, Okay, that's what we're doing, all right? So let's do Exodus 22. How about that? All right, I started my clock way late too, so we'll, we'll give you that back. Also, lunch is coming for those who signed up, so I, you won't miss. All right, so Exodus 22, verse 16. We're going to take this in chunks, okay? So we're going to do 16 through 20 with the idea of concerning holiness, okay? So let's listen to the Word of God, Exodus 22, verses 16 through 20. If a man seduces a virgin who is not betrothed and lies with her, he shall give the bride price for her and make her his wife. If her father utterly refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money equal to the bride price for virgins. You shall not permit a sorceress to live. Whoever lies with an animal shall be put to death. Yeehaw. Verse 20, whoever sacrifices to any God other than the Lord alone shall be devoted to destruction. It kind of says what it is right there. Okay, we're not going to expound on much of this. All right, the, the main idea is that God calls his people to a life of holiness and to a life of purity. Okay, so uh, while we're not going to expound on uh, whoever lies with an animal shall be put to death, uh, we are going to expound on the idea of purity. Okay, because that's what God cares about. So the idea of sexual purity, the idea of idolatry, the idea of witchcraft, they have no place in the kingdom of God. Okay? And they should have no place among the people of God. 
All right, so when we, well, there's a lot of people, by the way, in our church who are getting married um, over the next few months. And the primary thing in premarital counseling that we talk about is to fight for purity, okay? Fight for purity. God cares about it. He cares about you as a whole person. And he cares that you bring your whole person to marriage because he cares a lot about marriage. You know how we know that he cares a lot about marriage? What is the example? Christ in the church. If that is the ex- example, then we should hold marriage extremely high and extremely sacred. And so coming in to a wedding day or a wedding feast, pure is important, okay? Now, one of the things we always remind people when we're sitting and, like, and we're doing this whole thing is like, I don't care anything about your past, okay? So don't hear me Lord law over you in that sense. Hear that God doesn't care about your past. If you're in Jesus, he's looking to a new day. Okay, so if you're coming into a a marriage and you're like, I'm not coming in whole, if you are in Christ, you are made whole. Okay, so don't carry that weight. But when we sit down and you're about to get married, guess what I'm fighting for? I'm fighting for your purity because God cares about it. All right, so we should care about purity. We should care about uh, holiness. We should care and not, uh, we shouldn't have idols I don't think there are any witches in the room. I think we're safe, okay? So all of these, though, well, the interesting thing is they're all capital crimes. All of these lead to death, okay? So if, if that's the cause, if that's the consequence, then God holds these really high. These are important things, and we should care about them. The, the thing I want to just make really clear, and then we're going to skip. We're going to go back. We're going to go down. Keep going, okay? Is that verses 16 through uh, 16 and 17, that, that doesn't have to do with rape. I just want to say that really loud and really clear. This is consensual. This isn't rape. If it was rape, this, the verses would read different, okay? The consequence for rape was always death. There is no bride price for rape, okay? So hear that in the room, all right? So if we're reading this and a man seduces a virgin and you're thinking rape, that's not what this is talking about, okay? So that, that comes up again later, but I just want to clear the air, all right? So uh, anyways, let's keep going. Verse 21. This now is concerning social justice. Verse 21, you shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. You should find great comfort there. Verse 24, my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children shall become fatherless. Let's, let's keep going. Verse 25, if you lend money to any of my people uh, with, who, with you who is poor, you shall not be like a money lender to him, and you shall not exact interest from him. If, you, if ever you take your neighbor's cloak and pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down, for that is the only covering, and it is his cloak for his body. In what else shall he sleep? And if he cries to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate." So when we talk about the law, right, we're concerned primarily with God's nature and his character. So what do we learn about God? This is one of the things that we do in family groups. One of the first questions we ask every week is, what does this teach you about God? This should have been an easy one because it says it right here, that he is compassionate. What does that mean? What does it look like? It means that he cares and he has an eye and an ear to the vulnerable, to the weak, to the marginalized, to those who have been victimized. He cares about them to the point that now on the backside of the Ten Commandments, as we get them, as the law continues to grow, the primary emphasis are those people, 
Okay, so I think it's interesting, though, here that we get in verse 21, you shall do no wrong to a sojourner. Okay, so we kind of get this sandwich, if you will, from a literary standpoint with verse 21 and then again in chapter 23. Okay, so we'll close today with the same phrase. All right, God cares about sojourners because they're foreigners in a strange land. Okay, Uh, college students, hello. You are a foreigner in a strange land. You move here. Is it scary? Yeah, it's scary. It's really scary. Okay? All of your rhythms are disrupted. Your family is gone. Maybe not for everyone, but you move away from mom and dad's, and now you're in a concrete cell called a dormitory, right? With a bunch of people that you don't know, and they're baking fish next door, right? I've had people like that, you know, roommates, not roommates, but sweet mates. It's the worst. But God cares for the sojourner, okay? So while you're here, It is the branch's job, it is our role to you college students, and you can hold us accountable to this, to welcome you as brothers and sisters. You have a home here, okay? You do, and you are always welcome here, and we will love you, and we will exhort you, and we will encourage you, and we will celebrate you when you leave, or we'll celebrate you if you stay, okay? So that's what we have to, God cares about sojourners. So this idea of social justice, which has been a little muddied in our world today, if I could just speak very bluntly, that's not what God cares about, okay? What God cares about is that neighbors act like brothers and sisters, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of origin, regardless of skin tone, regardless of anything else, that we care deeply for the people that God has placed next to us. What I love about the idea here of sojourners, he reminds them that they are sojourners. And you need to be reminded. I need to be reminded. This is not my land. This is not my home. This is not your home. If you are in Christ, there is another home that is coming. And while we are here, we are sojourners. Now, we're also supposed to steward it, right? This was ultimately what God was calling Adam and Eve to do, was to steward creation. So that's what we're called to do. But this isn't our home. So we shouldn't hold tight fists with the things that are ours. Okay? All right. Let's keep going. Uh, the, the longest part in my notes is on widows and orphans because God identifies himself as someone who cares for the fatherless and someone who cares for the widows. He's a protector uh, of those people. So what I want to do is I want to spend some time here and then we'll talk through uh, compassion for the poor. But this idea of compassion for the widow and orphans. Next week, uh, Caleb Noggle, who's a member, he, he, his family does a lot. It's called Families for Families. Uh, it's orphan care, okay? And they're trying really hard to make sure that every orphan has a foster home, um, someplace to go, right? Where they can be safe. And he's going to be here next week and he's going to have a table set up. But God cares about the work that they're doing, and the church needs to figure out how to join in on that. So God expects for us to care for those in need because he's cared for us in our need, okay? Back to the idea of original sin. In our darkness, in our depravity, Christ came, okay, as the ultimate good gift. So think about this. When you were fatherless, he adopted you. This is biblical language, Okay? We've, we've gone through this. It's in Galatians. It's in Ephesians. It's all throughout Scripture. When you were fatherless, he adopted you. When you were a widow, he became your groom. When you were a stranger, he welcomed you in. The, the image that I love about the, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, which is what we read a couple weekends ago at the end of our service, is right before that is this idea of the table, like a feast table. Okay, And, and you might have heard this if you've been around for a little while, but Christ gives us his seat at the table, okay? A place we had no business even being in the room. And Christ has said, no, come take my seat. 
And now we enjoy the feast that was meant for the Son of God. That is the beauty of the gospel. That is compassion towards those who are weak and vulnerable. So God hears the cry. I think what we hear over and over again in this passage is that I will hear, right? God's declaring that. It's a declarative statement. It wasn't I might hear or it was, it's not if you obey, I'll listen. It is I will hear your cry. That is good news, friends. That is good news. He hears the cries of the desperate, just as he heard the cry of Israel in Egypt. Remember where they came from? Israel, when they were in Egypt? What was going on? They were slaves in bondage. Their burden was heavy. They had no straws to make bricks. Their babies were being chunked into the river, right? This was not a safe place. They were the weak and the vulnerable, and now God has called them out. God has brought them out. He's drawn them out of bondage, and he's drawing them to himself, and what are they doing? They look more like, the, like Egypt than they do like the kingdom of God. So that's why we get the law. They have to learn to live together, but the seriousness in which God takes this protection of widows and orphans shows us how much he cares for the weak and the vulnerable. Listen to Psalm 68. This is verse 5. It says, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows. God is identifying. This is who, he's saying, this is who I am, right? We introduce ourselves a lot to people. And the first thing they say, well, what do you do? Right? Oh, I'm the pastor of the branch, or I'm the whatever, or I'm this, I'm that. This is how God responds to that. I'm Yahweh. I'm father to the fatherless and protector of widows. That's who I am. And his people should reflect that. It continues in Psalm 68, it says, uh, God is in his holy habitation. When those people are safe, he is where he's doing what he is designed to do. What he was, who he is in his very nature of God, that is who he is. He cares for the weak. This is how God introduces himself. So let's move on to verses 25 through 27. This is where we see compassion for the poor. Specifically, when it comes to borrowing and lending, those things are not forbidden. Exploitation is Okay? So if, a, if the poor come to you and they say, I, I can't make good on my debt, and they give you his shirt, right? The scripture is saying, don't keep the shirt. Don't leverage the shirt. Don't exploit their poorness for your gain, your personal gain. This is a way to love people. Listen to what Luke says. Jesus is saying this in the Gospel of Luke. He says, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. God who has given everything, Christ who literally laid down his life for us. Forget the cloak. His was ripped from his body, lash by lash, and he willingly laid it down. We're in, we're, we as Christians are called to embody the character of God in caring for those who are on the margins, the poor are on the margins. We're not to exploit them, we're to care for them. One of the interesting things, uh, if, you, if you've heard some of my story, I, I love historical theology. Okay, particularly, I love the early church. What we see in the early church, when right after Acts, as the church begins to explode around the world, is it starts neighborhood by neighborhood. There was a church in the middle of a neighborhood. So think about like the city square. Okay, the church would be right in the middle, and that would be the place where people would find comfort. That's the place where people would have their needs met physically, mentally, spiritually. It was a place where they'd find food, they'd find medicine. The church was the center of the community because the gospel was important. And then what happened? the church kind of got marginalized and is spread, right? And now the church is not in the center of our communities anymore. And what do we see as the fruit? We see an eroding culture, all right? 
But the church should be the center where all the needs are met. All of our neighbor's needs are met. All right, let's keep going. Exodus 22, verse 28. I'm going to read down through the end of our passage for today. This is 20, uh, through chapter 23, verse 9. Okay? It says, You shall not revile God, nor curse a ruler of your people. Uh, leaders are called by God. Leaders, bad leaders. Okay? That's the point. We are to respect them no matter just what God's And sometimes our mics don't work, right? But we're called to respect authority. This is ultimately what's being established in the Ten Commandments. Honor your, your father and your mother. Anybody pick their mom or dad in a room just asking? You didn't get a vote? No, I didn't either. Uh, that's all good. Uh, but even if we do have a vote, we're called to respect those who've been uh, put in leadership. Verse 29 says, You shall not delay to offer from the fullness of your harvest and from the outflow of your presses. The firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. You shall do the same with your oxen and with your sheep. Seven days it shall be with its mother. On the eighth day you shall give it to me. Verse 31, you shall be consecrated to me. Therefore, you shall not eat any flesh that is torn by beasts in the field. You shall throw it to the dogs. You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil, nor shall you bear, uh, bear witness to, in a lawsuit siding with the many so as to pervert justice, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. Verse 4, if you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving with it, leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. I love that word rescue. Verse 6, you shall not pervert the justice due to your poor in his lawsuit. Keep far from a false charge and do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not acquit the wicked. Verse 8, this is extremely important. And you shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of those who are in the right. So a few things as we seek to reflect the nature and character of God. There are four things that I want us to see, and I'm going to come back and read verse 9 at the end here. The first is that we should respect God and the leaders that he's put in his place or in place over us, all right? That's from verse 28. The second thing is that since God is the giver of all things, and since all things already belong to him, we should cheerfully and without delay give to God what he asks of us, okay? So again, you might not have seen your neighbor's ox laying under its own burden, but if you see your neighbor in need, you should figure out how to help your neighbor, whether he has an ox or not, okay? That's the principle behind the law. The third thing is to be careful not to pervert justice just because it's the popular thing to do, okay? We see that in our world every single day. This idea of taking a bribe is a, is a, is a big problem, isn't it? What happens, what, is the, what does this law say? There's a consequence here, right? It says if you take a bribe, you lose your clear-sightedness. So those who are pure, and this, I've seen this in the church, okay? I've seen this in the church, where you have people in leadership 
who take a bribe for someone in the church in order to have a program that they want or in order to do some sort of ministry that they want, but they subvert the authority of the church in order for their own personal gain. We should have no place for that, okay? There is no place in the kingdom of God for taking bribes. It blinds our clear-sightedness, all right? And the last thing I want us to see is that we are to be compassionate in the way that we love and serve our neighbors, especially those neighbors, okay? Especially those neighbors. Now, I'm not going to give a, a list of those neighbors, but you know who those neighbors are. I've got those neighbors, and so do you, all right? We all have people in our life that are hard to love, don't we? God has called us to love and to serve them. There's coming a day when the vulnerable are finally free, where the weak are made strong, where the sojourner digs roots and has an address, right? There's coming a day where the marginalized are brought near. Listen to this last verse, verse 9. You shall not oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner. The heart, the very essence of these people. For you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. The Christian's view of the law must first be rooted in our knowledge of God, who he is and what he's done, that he's called us from darkness to light. And as image bearers, we are to shine that light in the dark. That sounds very VBS. But we are to shine that light in the darkest crevices of the world around us. So here's what that looks like. I know a lot of people, and I've talked to some of you in the room, who go from Bible study to Bible study to Bible study to Bible study to worship gathering to Bible study, and you don't know any non-Christians. I've been that person. I went to seminary. I lived in a seminary house. I worked at a church, and I led a college Bible study. I didn't know anyone who would say a cuss word without apologizing first. Okay? That's not where God's calling us. He's calling us to go to where? the ends of the earth, to the hardest places on the planet as bearers of good news, as bearers of light and bearers of hope. Listen to Romans 5. This is verses 18 through 21. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life. Circle that. One act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Verse 19, for as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many were made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, what does it say? Do you know this? Grace did what? Grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is the gospel. That's the Christian gospel. That's the purpose of the law. The law is love. Do you see that? The law is love. God saw us in our brokenness. He gave us the law in order to bring us back to him. Not in our ability to keep the law, but he would send another who would fully keep the law. And in his keeping, we are restored. We are made new. We're brought near. We're no longer foreigners in a strange land. We have been declared an heir 
Do you see that? All that is Christ is now yours if you're in Christ. And if you're not in Christ, maybe by reading the law, you don't come up with a list of like, oh man, I'm not keeping that law. I, I left somebody's ox in the ditch. But you see freedom. You see freedom because Christ has come and he's brought with him eternal life. We are image bearers. The image of God is eternal. Do you see it? The image of God is eternal. And in our being made new, we are given eternal life. We close each of our gatherings by going to the table to remember. And today, the only way I really want to set this up is by reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is verses 23 through 26. And uh, the, the guys will come back up and, and close our time of worship. But listen to this word of the Lord. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat, this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And I think that would be our prayer today, that Lord, would you come and would you come quickly? Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for a time to gather this morning, a time to study your word, a time to wrestle with hard things, things that maybe we don't understand or uh, because our culture is different from the time that it was written, we see it as not being profitable. I pray that you would help us to see the, the goodness in studying the book of Exodus, that you would help us to see the law, and ultimately for us to be thankful that Christ has come and he lived the law perfectly. So I pray now as we respond in worship that we would bring you glory I pray that you would call each of us to see our neighbors the way that you see them, that you would break our heart for what breaks yours, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear the needs of those you've placed around us. I pray that we would stop looking uh, for ways to serve and we would just see where you've called us as the place you've called us to serve. So now would you go before us as we uh, worship and respond at the table? Would there be a newness of life this morning uh, through the bread and then the cup? We're thankful for your son, Jesus. We're thankful for this church. We're thankful for this place to be able to meet. I pray that in all things you would call us towards Christ's likeness. So we love you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.